0: Welcome to The Wave, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and the business of menopause. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds. And today, you've got me, Emily Peck, co-host of Slate Money and a correspondent at Axios. And later in the show, I'm going to be joined by Amy Laraca, a writer who contributes to The New York Times and is also writing a book about the wellness industry. They used to call menopause the change. And as Amy points out in a wonderful piece she wrote for The Times last month, quote, whenever a thing is known by a euphemism, it's probably a thing that makes people squirm. But now, Gen X women are entering menopause. And prompted by our Gen Z daughters, the way we talk about menopause is also undergoing a change. Menopause is now being discussed openly and by some very high-profile women, Gwyneth Paltrow, Katie Couric, supermodels from the 90s. Oh, and they're not only talking about menopause, certainly a pro-feminist state of affairs, they're also trying to profit from menopause, and that's a trickier move. So coming up on the show, a deep dive into what Amy calls the menopause gold rush. Welcome back to The Waves. I'm here with Amy, who is a contributor to The New York Times and is working on a book about wellness. Hello. Hi. So I wanted Amy to just, before we get into the details here and the supermodels from the 90s talking about menopause, if you could just get into the basics. What is menopause? When does it start? When does it end? I'm nearing 50 myself. Every time I go to the doctor, I'm asking her, like, is it happening? When is it going to happen? Menopause is commonly
1: divided into three phases. The first being perimenopause, which can go on, people say, from five to 15 years. So it's an enormous part of your life. And what's going on in perimenopause are the hormonal changes that are going to lead to the end of your fertility is the easiest way to think about it. So it means that your ovaries are beginning to slow and eventually shut down production. And that's a really slow process, and it typically begins. Uh, the most common time for that to begin is sometime in the in a woman's forties. And what perimenopause can look like is just radically different for each person, and can evolve during the course of perimenopause. So the symptoms that are commonly associated with perimenopause, anything from brain fog to the kind of popular culture idea of menopause, which is the hot flash, and mood swings, um, vaginal dryness, these kinds of things can come and go during perimenopause. They can... um, because they're caused by hormonal changes as your body begins this process of closing down the ovaries, you know, putting down, closing <laughs> I down like, the you know, shop. putting down, <laughs> like, you know, when you see people closing down their stores and pulling down yes. the grates, like that's a slow five to 15 year process that's happening inside your ovaries. And uh, it might manifest differently at different periods during that time. And you might have very serious symptoms, very severe symptoms, very disruptive symptoms, or you might have very few uh, menopause itself um, is the moment when you have not menstruated for one year. So one year from your final menstrual period, that's menopause. Then you've got postmenopause, which is the rest of your life. So that's <laughs> a very long time.
0: Explain so, that to me. No. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so um,
1: so that's you know you're not you're no longer a fertile egg-producing woman, and uh, that kicks off one year from your last menstrual period.
0: Gotcha. I think for a long time, I thought perimenopause was menopause, but um, it's good to have the clarification.
1: Right? I think that's, I think that's right. I think when people think about menopause, what they're actually talking about is technically perimenopause, which is when your body just begins these hormonal changes. And I think it's interesting to think about like perimenopause is kind of like puberty, right? Like it's going to go on for some length of time and your body is going to go through a number of transitions and at one point it might be that you are suddenly like super sweaty or at one point it might be that you suddenly got a lot of acne. And these it's it's the process of your body going undergoing like major hormonal changes. We're all familiar with puberty. We all sort of know what happens. We've all been through it, right? But nobody quite talks or has historically spoken about perimenopause as much, but it's a very, very, very similar
0: process. It's the other end. No one used to talk about this. Your piece says, you know, it used to be talked about in whispers and in euphemisms. Um, But now we're 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 here on the waves talking about (laughs) it. And you wrote a piece for it in the New York Times. What's going on is why are people talking about menopause now?
1: Well, I think there's a... A number of reasons, I don't think it's any one thing. I think there's more openness for women talking about bodies in general uh, recently. One of the things I talked about in the piece that I'm kind of interested in, I have two young daughters, is that the girls that we're raising, that the Gen Xers are raising, are very, very, very open about their bodies. And they have a whole lot less shame Around puberty, around periods, than um, I'm forty-seven years old, than I did, than my peers did. I mean, the idea that you would sort of proudly march through the halls of your high school with, like, you know, your your tampon. Oh, God, now, I mean, I'm sure you probably remember like sliding it in your sleeve oh and sort of shuffling to the, the bathroom and yeah. all these kinds <laughs> of things, right? It was really embarrassing. And these girls really aren't embarrassed. I mean, they're quite factual about it. Why that is, I think it's one of the kind of positive byproducts of a culture that I think we all consider oversharing. But one of the one of the good things about it is that we're seeing that younger women and girls just have a whole lot less shame around bodies. Um, And I think it reflects on the older generation to say like, okay, my daughter is totally open um, about the changes she's going through. Why am I like slinking around and being like, oh God, who, not me? You know, that it's slightly like we'd like to slightly ashamed um, when we see how great it is that these younger women and girls are quite open about their bodies and you know much more attuned to the idea that it's like it's a body everyone's got one it's nothing to be ashamed of it's coming for all of us right so I think that that's part of it another thing is just wellness right like the wellness industry is really this movement that I see particularly post-covid one of the things that happened is that this wellness movement that was sort of like poking around the edges of you should really take responsibility for your own health, right? Like there's a complicated history of women maybe not getting the best health care in this country, plus it's kind of like rubbing up against spa culture, and these things are kind of creating this weird stew called wellness. Then we got hit with the pandemic, and it suddenly became very, very, very clear that you really are responsible for your own health. And when you saw the outcome being drastically different for people who do have access to better health care and to things that have generally been categorized as wellness, we're having much better outcomes during the pandemic than people who don't have access to these things. And I think that has kind of accelerated the medical aspect of um, wellness and opened the world up to the idea that you've got to be very frank about what you need and take control and go looking for that stuff so now that's like a double-edged sword right because on one on the one hand it's great there might be things out there that can help you that you can do your own research on that you can um, find solutions that work for you on the other hand you're kind of a sitting duck for uh, people looking to profit and historically we know that when it comes to our bodies and taking care of ourselves, We as women have spent our entire lives being sold all sorts of stuff, some of which maybe we need, some of which we definitely don't need. And so menopause, it's like it almost is like when I spoke to a lot of the venture capitalists who are getting into this area, they were like, oh, my God, how did we leave all this money on the table?
0: That is always the story with – I was um I was just reading about the history of HBO, and, you know, when they started out, they were targeting men pretty exclusively. They paid the cable bill, so they got the programming. And then slowly, there was, uh, like, a show here or there. I believe there were, they did a documentary about abortion or something, and, you know, viewership went through the roof, and all the male executives at HBO went, oh, like, we could make <laughs> – right. Women. There's oh, yeah. women, too. There's a business. There's a business here, too. And it's just like the same thing happens over and over where, you know, <laughs> the business sector is like, oh, oh, like there's all these older women. We could be we could be getting their money, too. What? Who knew? <laughs> They're like, oh,
1: it's just like money that we're just not going after, we could be selling more crap to them. I mean, and I think like one of the things I think inter- is I, I've really been interested in in researching the menopause market is that it's rising parallel to kind of expanded sizing and fashion, right? So for years, you know, I was a fashion director at New York Magazine for a really long time. And I was always like, oh, maybe now is the time to do a story on like these brands that are launching with expanded sizing, but like fashionable clothing. Right. And we tried it again and again, and there'd be a couple brands and they were trying it and they always failed. It was like the, the, the brands, maybe like their hearts weren't in it. The consumers, no one wanted to be that customer who was going to the, you know, plus size brand, even like if it offered kind of like more attractive clothing, better fit, it was like, it was an area of great shame, you know, a lot of mainstream fashion companies did not want to include, you know, expand their sizing. They thought it would, you know, diminish the brand to offer above a say size 12. And that's all changing a lot. You know, there's this really strong body inclusivity movement. And you're seeing a lot of expanded sizing and you're seeing slowly but surely like different kinds of bodies in on runways and fashion advertising. And, I think age kind of moves parallel to that as we're saying, like maybe we could take what has been a very, 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 very narrow idea of what's considered attractive and expand that. And then you open up these markets. And so it's not that people before didn't identify like, okay, so there's obviously a lot of women out there who want to look really good and have some money and just aren't being served by the current options for clothing. Um, but I think, like, so much shame was associated with that with on both sides that, like, it just couldn't take off. But now that there is a kind of body inclusivity movement that's quite strong, and again, driven by much younger women and girls, these brands are really opening up. And I think that then opens the doors to a lot of different things, you know, race and age in terms of what kind of representation people are willing to tolerate, open to seeing, And, um, and so I think that something like a menopause company, which would make not only the seller feel bad, but the consumer be like, Oh God, here I am in the drugstore and look at all that lovely stuff that's being marketed. And then like, there's something over there with like a sunset on it, you know, (laughs) like, you know, I don't want that. Right. So I think that like, you know, as body inclusivity sort of expands to include age, these things don't feel as sad. They
0: don't feel as like also RAM. I imagine the demographics too are just unavoidable here. People are getting older, people are living longer. Yeah. But I mean, there's just more like old ladies out there um who are hitting this age. So you know,
1: millennials, even like the older millennials are like Yeah, that's true. They're hitting 40. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, they're hitting 40. 40. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's Gen X women, it's uh the older millennials, and these are women who like, you know, aren't gonna kind of just go quietly into the sunset. I think a lot about there's another article in the Times recently about what were like representations of a 45-year-old and how that's changed over time. And the example they were using was Steve Martin and Diane Keaton in Father of the Bride. And um, they were 45. And she's wearing knee-length skirts and buttoned-up blouses, and he's got his gray hair, and they have a daughter getting married. And that was, you know, that was a 45-year-old. So that is, as we know, not how 45-year-olds see themselves now or want to be seen. So I think, you know, it's a little bit less going quietly
0: We're going to take a break here, and if you want to hear more from Amy and me on another topic, check out our Waves Plus segment, where today we're going to talk about telehealth and how it's completely blown up how we do medicine. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast and bonus content of shows like this one. It's only a dollar for the first month. To learn more, go to slate.com thewavesplus Plus.
1: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Amy, I don't think anyone would argue that getting rid of the shame around menopause is bad or destigmatizing this is bad, this very natural thing. But I feel like you've been hinting at this the whole time we've been talking. What are the downsides here of making a business out of menopause? And actually, before you start talking about that, maybe just give – listeners, um, a quick tutorial on what businesses we're even talking about.
1: You've got your face creams, your body creams. In this, in the case of menopause, they often include like a vaginal product or maybe a cooling spray. Like, so there's a few additional products, but basically it's like a moisturizer, a body moisturizer, a body oil um, targeted to women with aging skin. That's a language we all speak. Do we need stripes by Naomi Watts moisturizer? it's great that she's an actress in Hollywood who's out there saying, you know, look, my career is not done and I'm going through menopause and it's all okay. I think that's great. Um, Obviously you're going to pay a premium for these products. The question that remains and a question that, consumers always have to ask themselves is what am I actually paying here? Paying for, am I paying for the product? Am I paying for the packaging? Am I paying for how good it feels to be personally targeted and seen? Um, So I think, but that's a calculation that I think uh, women um, as consumers of the beauty industry are pretty sophisticated about making at this point. Um, And, you know, beauty is like a self care category, it's also an entertainment category, right? Like, am I going to have a good time doing this? Is it fun? So that's those are the beauty companies. Uh, you know, you've got shampoo for aging hair. You've got this molecule that brings more moisture, or collagen is a word you're going to hear a lot. So those are
0: the beauty companies. I would just add that, like, even though these products really not revolutionary or anything different than what we've seen, I imagine the packaging and the marketing sort of cultural are culturally significant. Like it matters to have this in the have people seeing this, like not just that's right. Women our age, but like at every age, because it kind of further destigmatizes the phenomenon.
1: That's right. And it's, and it's cool. Like it's not, it's not not tragic, tragic. this stuff. No sunsets. It's it's, it's, (laughs) It's not sad. No sunsets. No one's doing a sunset anymore. Uh, It's, you know, beautifully branded. It's sophisticated. It's well-designed. All of those things, which are saying like, you know, you're not, this is an oil level or, you know, as my college roommate used to call it oil of old lady. Aww. Like it's not, you know, it's not oil of old lady. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So all of that I think is very culturally significant that the idea that these products can look good and be appealing and uh, look a lot like the products that are marketed to younger women, right? Like they're not sort of they're not sort of heralding you into the end of your life where things stop looking nice. <laughs> you know, like they're they're sort of saying like, yeah, okay, this moisturizer might work better. You know, you probably don't have acne anymore, right? Like this might be a better choice for you.
0: I wonder if this is just all turning into just another opportunity to like market beauty products to women and another way to to sell us anti-aging products. For sure.
1: A million percent, right? I mean, I don't think... These are products that are going to say, like, you've reached menopause and you're just great the way you are. I mean, mm. that's not going to sell any base cream, right? right? You have to make say, people feel
0: bad to sell them this stuff.
1: <laughs> that's right. You have to say, like, there's there's a way of doing this better. And there's a way of being better at this. And there's a way of looking better. Um, and it's for sale. And we're going to sell it to you. And the one that's it's slightly comical so is, like, on Gwyneth Paltrow, she's got a menopause vitamin kit called Madame Ovary that um, you can uh, subscribe to and get your Madame Ovary vitamins every 30 days. Um, And it was her 50th birthday. And she posts this photograph of herself looking just absolutely incredible. I mean, she doesn't have, you know, a dimple or a lump or a bulge anywhere. And she's leaping in this like teeny weeny (laughs) bikini. And she writes this kind of owed to herself at 50 and she's saying I accept the lines creeping across my face, I I accept the parts of me that are sagging I accept the sunspots and you're like you do not accept anything. Your entire business is based on fighting tooth and nail against it. I mean, she's a paid spokeswoman for a specific type of botox. She markets. I mean, she had some sort of hilarious thing about the celestial sun has left its like celest- celestial fingerprints on her. She this summer <laughs> launched a product just based specifically at lightening your sunspots. It's a 90 She's, like,
0: known product. for her freckles. That's, like, her thing. That's yeah, cool. well, and now she's going to lighten them,
1: right? So um, I think, like, the certain freckles are cute, but, like, maybe the age sunspots are less cute. Right in there you can see the entire pro- problem, right? Like, you're going to be sold this idea that it's, like, feminist and you accept it, but then you're going to spend a lot of money fighting it. And that's kind of the paradox with a lot of this stuff, especially... One of the things about wellness is that it's like kind of a save and a dodge for the beauty industry, right? Because they get to say like, no, 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 this is feminist. Like this is for you. This is about empowerment. Um, While, you know, hurling a lot of the same kind of products that they've been selling for ages at women that are, as you said, based on making you feel kind of bad and feeling like you have to make this purchase.
0: Also, like, you know, I've been getting older which we all are. So I'm not revealing anything shocking here, but like as you as I've am edging towards 50 and I'm talking to my peers who by the way talk more about menopause than they did when I was back when I was 12 and wanted to talk about my period and no one was talking about it at all. It's really different. The big thing about getting older as a woman turning 50 is like you become kind of invisible. Like I walk down the street now, no one really looks at me, which is more upsetting than I thought it would be, weirdly. But we can talk about that in another show. But the thing about getting older is, like, you're supposed to not care anymore. Like, you're supposed to, like, turn invisible. But at least, like, it gives you, like, the freedom of being a crone or something. Like, you can just, like, be yourself, do what you want, dress how you want. Like, you can be, like, an old, I don't know, I don't know, old bitch. Like, you can just be yourself. Do you know what I mean? But... But if they're like packaging old womenhood now, it's like you don't get to do that. You have to like, I don't know, buy this stuff or look a certain way.
1: For sure. I find like a lot of the kind of like problem of this like new version of, you know, hashtag feminism has created actually like some really difficult like paradoxes for women, I think. Like, you know, I remember like when I first had my kids and I was just like a mess, like I was just working full time and had these babies at home and I felt physically like, you know, pumping in the office and all of this stuff. And it's really hard, right? Like it doesn't feel good. And I didn't have some clearer idea. And it was like this idea that like, no moms do it better. Like moms get it done better than anyone else. And like, you're making (laughs) it happen girl. And it was like, well, Actually, like what I would really like and what would feel feminist to me in this moment would be someone saying, I see that this is very difficult. And you actually don't need to be a superwoman right now. Like, get through it, right? But no one says that, right? The the feminist idea is like, no, like I always hire a working mom because working moms know how to get it done. And you're just like sitting there. I remember like sitting in meetings, like, looking around at all these childless people and being like with their sort of clean hair and their typed up memos and just like my eyes burning and thinking like, what is feminist about having to pretend that none of this is happening, right? But that was kind of the thing. And so I think like you can see a sort of similar thing happening with menopause, right? Like, well, I've got my HRT and I feel hot and sexy and it's like, well, Do I have to keep feeling on Like, you know, like, 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 couldn't we just sort of like, couldn't we sort of accept these very, very, very big changes without kind of like seeking to negate them all the time? Or, you know, like I always think about like people saying like, well, I feel back to myself. Like the self is this kind of unchangeable thing that you're entitled to. And I'm always like, what is this self everyone's talking about? And the best I can tell, it's like you at 28 right? Like that is the essential self that you like, Gotta get back somehow there. everyone feels like super <laughs> entitled to like get back to myself. And it's like, you know, yourself is ideally like an evolving thing, right? And your menopausal self should be and will be different than the the person you were when you were having children, the person you were when you were, you know, going like all, going through all of these different phases of life. And, you know, what's dangerous about all of it is, like, it's wonderful, it's spectacular, and it's great when people can get relief from discomfort and from these really disruptive and upsetting and difficult symptoms when people can get back to sleeping better, um, you know, having better sex, having, you know, all of the things that these products lifting their brain fog. Um, that's great. That's completely fantastic. But I don't know that the end goal needs to be, and then you can return to being this kind of version of a woman that didn't have, that has not actually experienced these changes and isn't in a new phase of life.
0: It's probably goes back to some like deeper fear of aging and denial of aging. Yeah, and all of course. This. Yeah, Mortality, of course. right? Mortality, <laughs> of right. Course. Yeah. Also, I just want to give a shout out. I feel like we didn't talk about millennials that much, but I have this very strong memory of being at work back when I was at HuffPost and I worked with, it was all millennials and me basically. And um, there was like, you know, a Slack channel where it was just like, does anyone have a tampon Slack channel? And like, there was just a box of them that someone had in the office and women would just go and you would just grab one and walk to the bathroom, no shame. And I remember that being like a huge revelation for me as like my my gen x worker we didn't really do that that, no um and i feel like these problems we're seeing now with like the menopause marketing as anti-aging is coming from gen x like the we we with the tampons up our sleeves and maybe the millennials will fix it yeah (laughs) maybe they'll fix it behind us
1: We have that so ingrained, right? I think that's a great way of thinking about it. And I think, like, you're right. As Gen Xers, we've also, like, ingrained a lot of the stuff that came before, which was, like, the only way to age was to fight it every step of the way. Fight it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. beat it, right? Defeat aging. And that, like, you know, maybe I, I think, like, the dream, the ideal version of all of this, right, is that, like... Med schools start training their doctors in menopause care, right? Like your doctor is more equipped to help you like find solutions that make you feel a bit better. So you feel better as you go through your day, you know, that money is put into the research of for women's health, which historically, you know, there's been a big difference between the amount of resources that are put towards you know general health or specifically men's health uh, and women's health. And all of those things would be great. Like, you know, all of that, all of those, all of that would just be fantastic. Um, But, you know, nothing exists in a vacuum, right? And so if you're going to get that, you're also going to get the beauty stuff and you're also going to get, and I'm no like denier of the beauty industry. I love it. Like, it's a great time. Everybody wants it. And, you know, why not? What I do believe in is kind of knowing what you're getting and not expecting miracles and, um, infusing that all with like a little self-acceptance and you know that the body is aging and you might not get back to that idea of a self but there's a new self it's great like the self evolves
0: well amy thank you so much for coming on and teaching me about
1: menopause. oh my pleasure <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shayna Roth. Daisy Rosario is a senior supervising producer of audio at Slate. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves@slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topics, same time and place. Thank you so much for being a Slate Plus member. And since you're a member, you get this weekly bonus segment. So let's talk about telemedicine. Amy, how has telehealth kind of blown up in the pandemic and how does that affect menopause care? So
1: pre-pandemic, we started seeing the rise of a category of healthcare company online that offered Prescription, subscription services. So you've got both of them. So it's like you go online, you consult with a doctor. The doctor says, usually by text message. The doctor, you do a quick intake form. And then um, the next thing is that you've got a prescription, which you then take on a subscription basis. So you sign up, you give your credit card details, and every 30 days that arrives at your doorstep. It was slow to catch on pre-pandemic. If you can think back to 2019, people weren't really necessarily comfortable with speaking to doctors or speaking to anyone really, like online, a stranger. It was, it was a very foreign concept. That obviously accelerated beyond anyone's wildest imagination. And now people are incredibly comfortable with the idea of having their medical care done in this kind of very distanced way great for menopause for a number of reasons. Uh, One is because one of the really sort of disturbing things that you learn when you start looking into menopause is that it's barely taught in medical schools. Um, So most gynecologists have had like two hours in their entire medical school curriculum on menopause care. So even if you are able to access your doctor, the odds are your doctor isn't going to have had a lot of training in how to help you. Um, so the idea that there are now these companies online where you can access, you know, remotely access a medical professional who has been trained in menopause care is a really appealing option. Um, the other thing that happened is that there's a huge study in the 1970s about hormone replacement therapy. It basically concluded that it was really, really, really dangerous and really bad for you and it increased your risk of heart disease, dementia, uh, breast and ovarian cancers, uh, So HR people stopped uh, prescribing hormone replacement therapy. Um, There's since been a lot of research that has concluded that it's not dangerous for a very specific subset of women who are, you know, who start hormone replacement therapy within a certain window of, you know, menopausal progression, which again would have to sort of be like within some number of years, um, when they're younger, when they have certain symptoms. So there are actually a great number of cases where the benefits of HRT far outweigh the risks. And there's been a big movement to begin prescribing hormone replacement therapy to a lot of women. And again, because a lot of doctors uh, in this country aren't trained in, in menopause care and not really up to date on the latest research regarding HRT, it's kind of a perfect Plus, you've got people who are like, yeah, I'll go online to see a doctor. It's fine. I do everything online now anyway. So uh, the these are companies that are telehealth companies devoted to menopause care, which is primarily the prescribing of hormone replacement therapies. Um, and that's... Huge. That was just some of our Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear the whole thing, go to Slate.com slash The Waves Plus to become a Slate Plus member today. Slate.com slash The Waves Plus.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To
1: the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping